Hello and welcome to Since the World's Been Turning. This podcast series is a journey through history, one guided by the lyrics of Billy Joel's song, We Didn't Start the Fire. This episode focuses on one of the most influential and controversial women of the 20th century, Brigitte Bardot. Throughout her career as an actress and model, Bardot not only changed fashion forever, but also ushered in a new era of cultural attitudes towards sex, specifically sexually empowered women. The walls between her work and her personal life have always been blurred, to say the least. Famed for her outspokenness, and obsessed over by the press as an object of scandal, it's hard to separate the real Bardot from her immaculately created myth. Who is this woman who changed the world? What was the inner life of this international icon of carefree hedonism? And how, later in her career, did she end up an animal rights activist with five different indictments for hate speech? Brigitte Bardot is born in Paris on the 28th of September 1934 into an upper-upper-middle-class, hyper-conservative and deeply Catholic family. She and her younger sister, Marie-Jeanne, are brought up with an iron fist. Their father, Louis Bardot, is an engineer who runs several different factories. Their mother, Anne-Marie, comes from a family of higher-ups in the insurance business. Together, Brigitte's parents expect the best and punish the worst. A proper dress code and good table manners are strictly enforced in their extravagant seven-bedroom apartment. On one particularly traumatic occasion, Brigitte and Marie-Jeanne break a priceless china vase belonging to their parents and suffer physical and emotional abuse as a result. They are each whipped 20 times and treated as strangers by their parents who demand that they are addressed with formal pronouns. This instance, along with her overall upbringing, is often pointed to as the cause of Bardot's rebellious personality and image. This argument has been made not only by the press, but by Bardot herself. However, her artistic career doesn't exist purely out of spite. This is not the story of a woman who turned her back on her parents to pursue her dreams. Arguably, it's the opposite. While Bardot's upbringing is in parts repressive and abusive, it isn't monolithically suffocating. Her parents are secret bohemians. Louis is a poet and amateur filmmaker with a passion for the arts. Anne-Marie is a ballet enthusiast and a key figure in the local fashion community. Insisting that Brigitte be trained in ballet from a young age, Anne-Marie is responsible for her daughter's excellent posture, which will go on to be hugely beneficial to her work. Brigitte books her first modelling job through Anne-Marie as well. In 1948, when Brigitte is 14 years old, Anne-Marie convinces her friend, the famous hat designer Jean Bataille, to give Brigitte a shot at modelling his hats. Her career starts here, and in large part because of her parents. In her autobiography, Brigitte will go on to talk about how dearly she loved her mother and how hard her parents' passing was for her. 
To be fair, she doesn't pull her punches when talking about the vase incident, but it's clear that Brigitte's relationship with her parents, like so many of the relationships in her life, is complicated. Brigitte's modelling career snowballs quickly. A year after her first job, she ends up on the cover of fashion magazine Elle. Over the next few years, she'll become a mainstay at that magazine and the face of the prim and proper teenage girl, the jeune fille. The dominant fashion of the time is Christian Dior's new look. The new look is defined by a kind of structured glamour. It's feminine, but in a very formal way. With her tall, elegant ballerina poise, Brigitte is perfect for the job. So perfect that the first issue of Elle winds up on the desk of filmmaker Marc Allegre. Allegre has a reputation for discovering new talent and was responsible for starting the careers of French starlets Simone Simon and Michelle Morgan, who were huge names in the 1930s. So when he organises for Bardot to meet with his protégé, a 22-year-old man named Roger Vadim, it's very clear what the meeting is about. Vadim, who in three short years has gone from working as an usher in a theatre to being Allegre's right-hand man, already has his teeth out for another promotion. He's written a screenplay named Les Lauriers Sans Coupe, or The Laurels Are Cut, and Brigitte looks like she just might be perfect for the lead role. Anne-Marie, wary of the film industry, accompanies 16-year-old Brigitte to the screen test at Vadim's apartment. The movie will ultimately never get made. Allegre will audition others for the role, including Audrey Hepburn, and then ultimately decide against it. Yet this meeting would still be a turning point for Brigitte. Her entire world is about to change, and everything will be different once she leaves. Roger Vadim and Brigitte are immediately drawn to each other. Brigitte describes that he seems to her like a wild wolf. She writes that he looked at me, scared me, attracted me. I didn't know where I was anymore. He is drawn to her for her looks and supposedly her rebellious attitude. Vadim, an unapologetically vain man, is drawn mainly to her looks. They immediately begin dating in secret, despite their six-year age gap. Her parents naturally aren't thrilled about their teenage daughter running around with an older man, so bring down the hammer, ordering her to stop seeing Roger or we'll send you to boarding school in England. Overwhelmed and terrified she'll lose Roger and her new life, Bardo was at her breaking point. Putting her head in the oven, she attempts suicide. Luckily, her parents come home just in time, and terrified, they relent from the ultimatum. Brigitte can continue to see Roger, provided they marry once she turns 18. This is a deal Brigitte is more than happy to agree to. Meanwhile, both Brigitte and Roger's careers are taking off. Brigitte is becoming more and more prominent as a model, and her photo shoots are increasingly risque. She's still modelling the same new-look clothes, 
but the focus is being pulled more towards her curvy figure and large lips. Vadim's scripts are getting produced, and Bardo is getting to act in them. Her film career is exploding in France, where she's becoming a fledgling star for her roles in films like Manina, The Girl in the Bikini, and Naughty Girl. She even has a small presence internationally, acting alongside Kirk Douglas in the Paris-set film Act of Love. But Vadim has had enough time stuck behind the typewriter. He's paid his dues, and now he wants to direct. He's determined to shake up the industry, to tell a story about a normal young girl whose only difference was that she behaved in the way a boy might, without any sense of guilt on a moral or sexual level. And who better to star than his young wife? And God Created Woman in 1956 is a massive turning point, not only for Bardot, but for the world at large. It's the rare French film that makes a massive international splash, and its success is owed completely and utterly to Brigitte Bardot's performance. Overall, the film thrives on scandal. Bardot appears in various stages of undress and quickly becomes an international sex symbol, both for her looks and sex-positive attitude. Because of this, the mere act of showing the film in the United States becomes a scandal within itself. Theatre managers are arrested for screening it, which adds even more fuel to the publicity fire. Of course, the control Brigitte has over her image is limited, and a lot of the discourse feels exploitative and frankly gross. The American press coined the term sex kitten to describe her, tying her brand irrevocably to her sexuality. Behind the scenes, a real-life scandal is unfolding. Brigitte has had enough of Roger Vadim and is cheating on him with her co-star Jean-Louis Trintignant. This is the first, and by no means the last, relationship-ending affair she'll have over the course of her life. In her biography, she will say that she always looked for passion, that's why I was often unfaithful, and when the passion was coming to an end, I was packing my suitcase. Vadim takes things surprisingly well. He will later claim that he was unsurprised, saying, From the moment I liberated Brigitte, the moment I showed her how to be truly herself, our marriage was all downhill. Vadim continues to make films with Bardot, however, and they even stay friends throughout the years. Bardot's career and personal life continue as high-profile and turbulent as ever. She becomes the face of French cinema, starring in films by Jean-Luc Godard and Louis Malle. She acts alongside everyone from James Stewart to Sean Connery, and even starts a moderately successful musical career. She completely revolutionises the fashion world, bringing it into the 1960s. Gone is the new look. In its place are bikinis and the aptly named Bardo neckline, a style often used for knitted jumpers that fully expose the neck and shoulders. Meanwhile, she jumps from partner to partner, working her way through 17 different relationships and four husbands, including actor Warren Beatty 
and German millionaire Gunther Sachs. While she receives scorn for this from the media, she also receives a lot of respect. There is a swell of respect for her from French intellectuals and some international feminist groups who praise her for living her life unimpeded by the traditional expectations pushed onto women. She's living her life on her terms, as was standard for men to do. It becomes increasingly clear that she isn't striking out to get back at her parents, rebelling to prove a point. She's just doing what she wants to do when she wants to. Hence, it's unsurprising when she retires from acting in 1973, claiming she wants to get out elegantly. What is surprising is what she does next. Using her fame as a weapon for change, Bardot becomes an animal rights activist. In 1986, she creates the Brigitte Bardot Foundation for the Welfare and Protection of Animals. Her impact is international. She donates over $140,000 towards the mass sterilization and adoption of stray dogs in Bucharest. She becomes involved with the United Nations and condemns seal hunting in Canada. In one particularly bizarre incident, she has her neighbor's donkey castrated. When taken to court for it, she argues that it was sexually harassing her own donkey and mare. Gradually, however, her activism starts to lean towards the controversial. She protests the halal means of meat preparation in Muslim culture, denouncing it for its cruelty to animals, and she keeps going from there. She speaks out publicly against immigration, claiming in her book The Open Letter to My Last France that her homeland is being invaded by an overpopulation of foreigners, especially Muslims. She speaks out against the mixing of races and against Islam itself. Ultimately, she is charged with hate speech and inciting racial violence five different times. Alongside her Islamophobic remarks, she makes claims that draw ire from the LGBTQI community, the Me Too movement, and Jewish groups. Her last and current husband, Bernard Dormal, is a friend of French far-right politician Marine Le Pen, who Bardot expresses support for. It's hard to comprehend how someone who was an icon for women's freedom and emancipation in her early career would ultimately end up a spokesperson of the far right. But Brigitte Bardot has always been a contradiction. Her life exists purely on her terms, for good and for bad, and tends to shape movements, not exist neatly within them. It's also crucial that we remember the abuse she suffered early in life from her parents, and the fact that she was escorted into stardom by a man six years her senior, while she was still a teenager. But still, the gravity of her racist statements can't be underplayed or sweetened. They are, without doubt, part of the complex legacy of Brigitte Bardot. Thanks for listening to Since the World's Been Turning. I'm Robin Harrison. Thanks to Will McGillivray for the introduction music and to our writer, Jack McGee. 
Please join us again next time as we continue to explore the people, events and places behind Billy Joel's iconic song by retelling the events of the Hungarian Revolution of 1956. For more episodes and information, you can follow NZ Pods, that's P-O-D-Z, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can visit our website, www.nzpods.com, that's nzpodz.com. Giving us reviews and ratings on your podcast service helps us to share this project with more listeners, so please share your thoughts. We greatly appreciate your help in keeping this project going. Thanks again for listening, and please come back next time to hear more from Since the World's Been Turning.